This episode of Bright Hearth is brought to you by Garlands of Grace and our supporters at patreon.com. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. 1 Corinthians 11, 2-16 Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode here of Bright Hearth. I'm Brian Sauvet, joined, as always, by my lovely wife, Lexi. Say hi to the people. Hello, people. You might hear a little bit of an echo in our recording today because we're recording literally in our kitchen. During a nap time here, we were able to sneak a little bit of time away to record this episode, and uh, you might have been able to tell from the introduction, but babe, what are we talking about today? The most anticipated. Seriously. (laughs) The most anticipated topic of head covering. People keep asking us, are you going to do one on head coverings? (laughs) Because we have a sponsor that sells head coverings. Yes. We wanted to be well prepared. So we wanted to just get our head on right. But yeah, in this season, we've been talking about marriage and the heart of the productive Christian household. But one issue that's kind of like adjacent to marriage, the relationship of a husband and wife, masculinity and femininity, that is growing in sort of conversation, I think, in the broader Christian culture, is this question of 1 Corinthians 11. Is it for today? Is it cultural? Should a woman wear a head covering? Should she just should she wear one in corporate worship or all the time? And is this just a cultural practice? And so... In this episode, we wanted to lay out some of the reasons why we believe that head coverings are for today, and um, that it's not merely a woman's hair, it's not merely a cultural sort of example that Paul is giving in 1 Corinthians 11 with, with you know maybe a bearing in principle today, but not in the actual physical nature of the head covering that he commends in 1 Corinthians 11. So before we do jump into that, though... We could cause some problems, couldn't we, babe? <laughs> if you want to be contentious about it, but we aren't, so. <laughs> yes, we, we, we'd like to give an asterisk here up front to just say we're not trying to cause any problems in marriages or local churches. I know we have people who listen to this podcast from across many different parts of the Reformed tradition and beyond as well, 
And so the last thing we want to do is to be contentious and cause big arguments and schisms in churches. And We don't have that in our church no, either. No, We have women in our church who do cover and we have women who don't. And uh, we, we don't want to cause schisms in churches. So just up front, let us commend to you peaceable uh, agreement and disagreement as you take up this question. And uh, we would say, please don't go to your pastor and try to divide the church or call him an idiot or uh, ladies don't listen to this. And then, uh, you know, convert all your friends. I mean, there's <laughs> become, nothing wrong with that. Your yeah, friends will notice in no, the last questions. Yeah, but. Th- there's nothing wrong with having a reasoned conviction on yeah. this question. And and actually, we've we've had contention in both ways in the past where and, and surprisingly, we've actually had more pushback historically in our experience from people who don't head cover yeah. being almost offended when women do yes, because they, they can take it as like a condemnation, like, well, look at me, what are you doing? So we don't want to do any of that. So ladies, talk to your husbands, talk to your pastor. If you disagree with us, that's not a big deal. You don't have to agree to us to listen to Bright Hearth or, <laughs> um, you know, you know, be our friend. We, we have friends who disagree and, uh, but we just get this question so often. Yeah, even even among our friends that do and don't cover, we can all joke with one another about covering and not covering. Yeah. It's not. It is genuinely not an issue at our church. That's exactly <clears> right. <throat> so, um, what we're going to do in this episode is is give you like a summary statement of our position, and then we'll talk about some reasons from the passage, and then talk a little bit about some historical reasons as well. And um, what am I missing there? We're also going to talk about history. Oh, the whole idea that like it's. She just needs to look feminine. Oh, that's right. It. It's, it's cultural. It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, cultural. That sort of Sorry. Thing. Okay. Yeah, great. So the the first thing that we want to say, and actually I'm just simply going to quote from R.C. Sproul, who is a theologian and pastor. Um, he has since passed away, recently passed away, but sort of a father and a grandfather in the faith for many today. Very wise older man who did a lot of great work as a pastor and theologian. And uh, he, I think, summarized the position that we would hold pretty well. He said, we are persuaded that the biblical mandate of head covering is still in effect. When Paul says the women are to cover their heads, he's basing that action on how God created male and female. If there's ever an indication of a perpetual ordinance in the church, it is that which is based on an appeal to creation. I think that the symbol should remain intact as a sign of our obedience to God. And so our basic position is that a woman ought to wear a head covering in corporate worship, and that it should be a cloth covering that is not simply her hair, though her hair is a kind of covering, and Paul makes an argument from that as well, but that the passage, I think, clearly puts forward a command to wear a cloth head covering in corporate worship. Yeah. And I say in corporate worship, and I know that there are... Um, <laughs> Wide variety. Even, yeah, even on the side of folks who would, would land on our side of the argument in, in saying that women ought to wear a cloth head covering... Um, there's a range of position on when. Mm-hmm. There's a whole range of position. Should it be wives or or virgins? Uh, should mm-hmm. virgins, unmarried women, wear head coverings? You'll notice the ESV translation that we read from uses wife, mm-hmm. but the word is actually can be translated woman as well. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a debate about that. There's a debate about should it be all the time, just out of the home? Should it be in public, just in corporate worship? We're not going to address all of those questions today. Um, we're going to make the more modest argument just 
for corporate worship as a baseline, yeah. and then you can do your own reading. There's there there will be resources we link to in the description. We are going to talk a little more in the kitchen on our in the kitchen episode about the specifics of how we view it. Though. Yeah, how we so. view it, and uh, there's some great articles we'll <clears throat> link. There's great books. Jeremy Gardner wrote a great book on head coverings, and I I know for a long time he ran headcoveringmovement.com. There's a really Leslie, great uh, Leslie McFall, Leslie McPhail, that big book mm, on his. Yeah. Good order in the church, Dr. Leslie McFall. It's only a PDF one on the Head Covering Movement website. I believe he died right before they were able to publish it. Uh, So it's not available in print that we know of, but you can find it there. I mean, it was like $70, I think, when I went to go print it. But it's a very good book. I've read large portions of it. There's also, um, uh, I will link to an article on Purely Presbyterian on Head Coverings in Worship that is a transcription that Paul Barth put together from a sermon by Pastor Michael Ivies of um, the Presbyterian Reformed Church of Rhode Island. So there, there's tons of different resources you can find on this question. And uh, this this podcast, of course, is not going to be exhaustive. No. And, you know, even even to exegete a... Comp, a, a um, what's the word? Not complicated. To exegete a controversial passage of Scripture and address all of the possible <laughs> arguments would be... Recently, I think there was a YouTube video going around from someone saying head coverings were not required today and it was like seven hours long oh wow. and everyone was talking about it and i was like I'm oh interesting sorry. yeah notice not, that I'm you not... did not say this is a complicated passage because no, it's not don't... complicated i actually don't think it's complicated <laughs> it's controversial but i i don't think it's particularly complicated no uh and and maybe it'd be important <clears throat> to start there that first corinthians 11 when we talk about this issue of head covering um we're not talking about a doctrine or a practice that's built on an obscure random throwaway verse that is easily ripped out of context and totally obscure. Like, for example, (laughs) Paul in passing mentions baptism for the dead at one point in one of his letters and doesn't give any explanation for what he means or why. That would be an example of a passage that is difficult to understand. You got to do some work, and it's he because Paul himself doesn't explain what he means. I think there's portions of First Corinthians 11, like the comment on the angels, yeah, that the are angels difficult. Are but whether or not you understand that at length doesn't change the rest of the clarity of the passage. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> what we're talking about with head coverings in First Corinthians 11 is a very clear argument that Paul gives in a, in 15 verses at least of sustained argumentation where he gives a practice and then he defends it with at least four reasons of why he's saying to do what he's saying to do. So this is not a passage that is an obscure throwaway, easily taken out of context sort of thing. Paul gives a a lengthy argument for what he's talking about and why in the passage. Um, So starting with scripture, one of the, some of the reasons that we believe women ought to wear head covering in scripture or in, in corporate worship, at least, is because of the the four arguments that Paul makes for the practice in 1 Corinthians 11. He draws four lines of argumentation to support this practice. So the first one is from creation, order, and authority. And this is what R.C. Sproul is referencing in that quote that I read when he says that Paul's appealing to creation. That's exactly what Paul does. He says, uh, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. There's an argument from creation, order, and authority. And then later in the passage, he talks about um, why a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image of glory in God, verse 7, but woman is the glory of man. For, he says, man was not made from woman, but woman from man. 
Neither was man created for woman, but woman for the man. So he's making an argument that goes all the way back to Genesis to the creational order of hierarchy, authority, and the relationship of the man to God and the man to the woman, the woman to the man. It's an argument from creation. Yeah, that, and that helped me see personally like that doesn't change today because that creational order in the garden is not somehow a moot point today. Mm, yes. <laughs> One of the reasons that it's dangerous to argue and reject head coverings on the basis of what we'd call the cultural argument, which is the argument that Paul is just appealing to a cultural practice in Corinth and that he's not actually telling everybody that they need a head cover everywhere, all the ladies everywhere, is because the nature of Paul's argument has nothing to do with the local church uh, culture of Corinth, and it has everything to do with created order, and that this is a common way that Paul argues in Scripture. Paul argues this way, actually in 1 Timothy, to, to explain why a woman ought not to hold authority uh, or teach a man. And so if we're going to take Paul's argument here in 1 Corinthians and say, well, it's a cultural, cultural argument, we have nothing holding us back, really, in principle, from using that same sort of argumentation when we get to 1 Timothy 2 and saying, well, women should be pastors. Paul was just talking about some, you know, it was a very patriarchal culture, and so today we're more enlightened. Yeah. We've learned more, and so now the principle is wives should respect their husbands, but women can be pastors. Yep. Yeah, I think, too, uh, I think this note comes from Pastor Gavin Beers. Um, His sermons are linked on the... Let me let me get her website correct. Yeah, Femina Sola Gratia.com. His his sermons were absolutely bomb. Yeah. Um, he's a Presbyterian, Presbyterian pastor. pastor. But he makes the comment <clears throat> with the cultural argument. He says the cultural argument doesn't work here because archaeological evidence from Oster shows in the Roman Empire that men wore coverings on their heads in worship. He wasn't asking them to do something so they wouldn't offend the culture, but rather Paul was imposing a biblical worldview on them in regards to how to worship. So um, that goes against everything that people often say is like, well, it was cultural at that time. No, it wasn't cultural at Mm -hmm. that time. Most men in the surrounding culture, they were the ones that were covering their heads. Mm. And Paul is saying, don't be like them. Yeah, so Paul is not clearly arguing from culture in the passage. He's arguing from creation order and authority, number one. He's saying there's a way that God created the world. This external practice is going to demonstrate an internal reality or a reality that is creational in nature prior to the fall even of the the order of hierarchy and authority that God created in the world. He gives another argument. This is the second kind of argument he gives. This is the one that people often hang their, this passage is very obscure and hard to understand, hat on. And it's what Paul says in verse 10. Um, he says, so in verse 9, he said that neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Now, this word angels in the passage can be translated either angels as in angelic beings, can also be translated messengers. And so some people will take a position on this passage that Paul's actually referring to um, human messengers like apostles or uh, leaders in the church who might be present at the time. Either way, Paul makes an argument. It's clearly he's making an argument that one of the reasons for this symbol of authority Uh, to be on a woman's head is because of these messengers or angels. Well, if you've been listening to Bright Hearth for any length of time, you know that we are all about productive Christian households, supporting one another in business endeavors worth doing, and we're all about modest, feminine Christian women 
masculine Christian men. So we're so excited to be partnering for this episode of Bright Hearth with a sponsor, Garlands of Grace. Garlands of Grace makes beautiful feminine head coverings, uh, whether you're wearing a head covering or a headband just for fashion reasons or uh, as a covering for 1 Corinthians 11 sort of matters. We'd really commend them to you. And Lexi, uh, we were just looking at their organics line. What do you think about that? It's very cute. <laughs> they are very cute. They have a lot of floral prints, and it's. I think it's really unique to find companies that are willing to even go the extra mile and use organic fabric. So Yes, we know that our listeners are not just interested in getting the cheapest, quickest, flimsiest things they can get, but they want to get quality um, products made that are going to support Christian households. And so we would commend these ladies to you and their company. Uh, you can head to garlandsofgrace.com and you can see a huge variety of head coverings, head wraps. They have them for women as well as girls. And um, they also have those volumizers. What are those again? They help keep your head covering in place so it's not slipping off of your head. Yes. And if, uh, you know, Lexi is taking care of five children plus one in the womb on Sundays while I'm preaching and teaching and leading the service. So it is important that it's not slipping off of your head so easily when little people are kind of climbing and crawling over you. So that's been a help for you. Yep, I love it. Absolutely. Well, check it out there, garlandsofgrace.com. You can use the link in the description of this episode and you support our show when you support them. So uh, thanks for listening. And now we'll get back to the episode. I've also heard people talk about, um, and John Calvin, I think it's in the Institutes where he's talking about how even the angels were covered before the Lord. Mm -hmm. I've heard people use that argument from Calvin saying like, if the angels are doing it, how much more so should we yeah. sort of a thing. So within this, within this portion of the passage, there's multiple, I think, reasonable yeah. interpretations yeah. that are all plausible and good. We're not going to get into all the weeds here. One of them would be that the angels do observe our worship. We know that yes. from other passages in scripture, like Revelation chapter eight, we, we know, we know yeah. that angels are there with us in the assembly um, Charles Spurgeon actually said, the reason why our sisters appear in the house of God with their heads covered is because of the angels. The apostle says that a woman is to have a covering upon her head because of the angels, since the angels are present in the assembly and they mark every act of indecorum, and therefore everything is to be conducted with decency and in order in the presence of the angelic spirits. So that's one interpretation of the passage that basically says, we're again externalizing this creation order mm -hmm. reality that the woman is the glory of man, the man is the glory of God, that the woman was created from the man and for the man. And so we're demonstrating a symbol of authority on her head in our corporate worship as we gather to show this, and the angels are observing this. And so for their sake, as they observe our worship, we want to show them reality or truth. Well, and it's funny too, because people get offended. You're talking about the woman covering her head. But right. Dr. McPhail, McFall points out that like, there isn't a, a separation between sacred and secular necessarily, but church worship is different on Sunday. It, it is set apart in a different way. And he says, like, wouldn't we expect the Lord to give us both a dress code for that? And But, but it is also funny because people want to kind of pin you down and say, well, then men should have short hair, shouldn't they? And it's like, well, yeah, they should. <laughs> yeah. That is the point. Yes. <laughs> that yes. is the point. So it, the dress code really does go both ways for walking into the spiritual plane of worship on Sunday yes, mornings. that's right. So the angels are another reason that Paul says this. I want you to notice something now. Again, this is another argument that Paul makes that is not changing whether you're in first century Corinth or gathered in corporate worship today. So his, his argument there doesn't, 
depend upon specifics of Corinthian culture. You mean understanding the angels part? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah that, that makes that, a good that part point. Of the argument. That's a really good point. The third type of argument that Paul raises is what we could call an argument from nature. He makes an argument from nature. And we can see this for, uh, you know, in verse 13 in particular. So in verse 13, Paul says, Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to her to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Uh, so he makes an argument that's clearly an argument from nature. He says, basically, judge for yourselves whether this is right. This isn't the only time in Scripture that the author of, of Scripture used this kind of judge for yourselves. Paul, even a chapter earlier in 1 Corinthians 10, he said, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? We see another example of this in Acts chapter 4, where it says, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then again, in 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen, same kind of argument, judge for yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? And then he makes this argument that basically says, wouldn't nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him, but a woman has long hair, it's her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. So he, he points out that there's this aspect of nature itself that teaches us that a woman's long hair is a glorious covering for her, and it wouldn't be right for man to have the same kind of long hair. And, you know, some people say, hang on, though. How does nature teach us that? Doesn't a man's hair grow just as long if he lets it go? Like, it's not as if men just naturally seem to have short hair and women long hair. Mm -hmm. And what Paul is doing here is drawing an argument from nature where he's saying there's a principle here that there is a difference between maleness and femaleness that is visible and obvious in creation. Men and women are physically different from one another, and they even, as that physicality is expressed culturally, they do change, and they do give different symbols of how this is to, uh, to look. So in clothing, in hairstyles, in adornment, in all of those different types of things. So, so here you might say, well, isn't that a cultural argument? Well, there's a principle there that is transcultural, that maleness and femaleness are distinct, and then enshrined or encoded into the law, there's, this, uh, there's a law that's built on this principle that men and women are not to dress and present themselves in the same way. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So it is a shame for a woman to dress and wear the garb of a warrior in the Old Testament. That's unlawful. She's not allowed to do that because to do so would be to lie about the nature of what God has created and what he has designed maleness and femaleness to actually be and do. And then to illustrate his point, Paul gives an example that, that focuses on the length of hair of between men and women. And, mm -hmm. and people, <laughs> they often miss the point here and they start arguing like, well, men can have long hair in some cultures and places men had long hair, women had what, you know. But generally speaking, the, it's an obvious point that is you have to like come up with edge cases to try and miss the point that he's making. Because <laughs> when you look at a woman, there is across cultures a glorious difference between the way that a woman presents her hair and a man. When, Paul's, <laughs> when Paul says that a woman's hair is her glory, we all know what he means. Yeah. You all look, well, hopefully we do, yeah. unless you have some very homeless-looking people That's around right. you. <laughs> and so you, you see even in um, <clears throat> other places in Scripture where Paul's talking about modesty of dress, and he warns women, 
don't now don't go into worship and start making the, your focus the external adornment, the yeah. braiding of hair and the putting on of jewelry. Why does he have to say that? He doesn't say that to men. Yeah. <laughs> well, because there is something encoded into the feminine spirit about beauty. Yeah. She is the glory of man. And so she is like one one way that you can think about the way the scriptures use the phrase, the glory of something like the cedars. I've, I've said this before. The cedars are the glory of Lebanon. That would be like you, when you picture Lebanon in the time that that was written, you would picture these glorious cedar forests. Mm-hmm. And that was like the, the picture, the image of the beauty of Lebanon. Well, that was kind of the last nail in the coffin for me was like, I kept saying, well, I, I certainly, I dress femininely enough. I do my hair every single day. And, you know, I was trusting in my view of what I thought beauty and femininity looked like. And I just kept feeling convicted by, but the Lord has clearly told me what it looks like to be right. feminine on Sunday morning yeah. and it's to be covered. Yes. And then some, some people will take this as well and they'll say, well, well, here you go. This is clearly what the passage is talking about because Paul says right there that a woman's long hair is her covering. Of course, right, it's right there, Brian. The Why grim. do you keep saying that you need a, a, this cloth covering? Paul's obviously talking about the hair as a covering. I know lots of very smart, godly men and women who make this argument. And the problem with that kind of argument, friends, is that verse 6 grammatically yeah. precludes that conclusion from being correct. Yeah. Verse 6, Paul says, For if a wife will not cover her head, or if a woman will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. Now think about it. If you replace the covering with her long hair, then you would read it like this. For if a woman will not have long hair, then she should cut her hair short. It would be like saying, if a woman cuts her hair short, then she should cut her hair short. Yeah. You see what I mean? It grammatically precludes that as the conclusion. Well, in, in verse five too, it says the same as if her head were shaven. Mm-hmm. It's there's there's a um a comparison happening there. Exactly. There's obviously something the hair is being compared to. It's mm-hmm. not just the hair. That's right. So if you try to collapse the whole passage into being about the hair as the only covering Paul's talking about, it makes grammatical nonsense of at least verses five and six. Yeah. And the other thing we'll we'll get to in a moment, the entirety of church history virtually got it wrong, if that's what you're saying. We're gonna talk about that in a moment. But just concluding this nature uh, argument here, that actually does mean that when you see women walking around with shaved heads, that they are actually rebelling against nature. Yeah, they're they're saying, I am not a covered daughter. Mm -hmm. I am not protected. I don't honor, you know, my father, (laughs) my husband, whoever the male authority is above me. There's a story that they're telling with their shaved hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I bet if you go and ask them about it, they'd be more than happy to tell you yeah, about it. That's right. <laughs> and we're not saying there are obviously there are issues that you might run into with chemotherapy or things like no. that where a woman can lose her hair and we're not saying like, oh look, she's such a no. Well, and there is a difference between I've had friends that have been sick and they have had short hair and they have told me this is why I go out of my way to wear barrettes and to wear ribbons yeah, and to, to wear be feminine. to be feminine because I can't have longer hair. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So yeah, we're not in. Paul doesn't put in a, an inch length here in either no. either sp- space to say like what it would mean for a man to have inappropriately long hair or a woman have inappropriately short. You guys hair. know what we're talking about, though. <laughs> but so there's cultural range here that's absolutely real. But then there's there's a fixed reality that is that's unmoving in principle of the difference in femininity and masculinity. So this is yeah. why every worldview has a uniform. Yes. As soon as you embrace radical feminism, radical egalitarianism, what's one of the first thing that happens? 
women start to dress like men. They shave their heads. They pierce. They, they start doing all sorts of masculine things. They wear baggy clothing or no clothing at all. Men begin to become gender fluid, as it's called, and they start doing all this nasty stuff. They dress like women. Um, they, they blend between everything. Uh, you see this. Every worldview has a uniform. So hair is the argument Paul's making is from nature, that there's this fixed glory in nature of maleness and femaleness. It's expressed in many different ways, but doesn't nature itself teach you? Like if a man walked around with braided, beautiful, feminine hair, (laughs) wouldn't that be a shame to him? Or if a woman walked around and she shaved her head and looked like a soldier, wouldn't that be a... And so we understand what what he's talking about, even though... Um, some people try to use that to argue against the, the, the covering or to say that the hair itself is the only covering Paul's talking about. And then finally, Paul says, he makes an argument from church practice. He says, if anyone's inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Again, here's another place where people say, see, he says, um, we have no such practice of arguing about this, so do whatever you want. <laughs> it's, That's uh, not it, what Paul means. <laughs> it would go against the entire grain of... Paul's whole argument for the previous 14 or 15 verses, if all of a sudden you took him to be just like, yeah, but nothing that I just said is, you know, whatever. We don't have that practice. Then we'll, we'll not get too deep well, into that. I well, mean, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I was really frustrated, actually, when I read Calvin's Institutes, the section on covering, because he was obviously pro-covering, but he didn't go he didn't go into, like, deep explanation. But I actually came back to this verse and thinking, it's because it was the practice of the time. There was yeah. no contention surrounding it. Everyone accepted it as uh, a authority-setting type of doctrine yeah. in the church on Sunday mm-hmm. morning. Yeah. So, and and that's even like Martin Luther, similar things that I've come across where I'm like, man, I wish you'd talk about this more. And it's just like the culture of the time did, on a large scale, do this, so they didn't have to talk about it. There was no contention. Therefore, there was no need to bring it up. Yes, this actually does really bring us to our second main part of the argument. And this was very persuasive to me. This was one of the reasons that actually got me to reconsider because for, for years I had basically concluded that Paul was, or was commanding a transcultural principle to be practiced in an, a culturally appropriate way, is how I would have put it. That Paul's saying, like I said about the argument from nature, that men should look like men, women should look like women, and that how you do that is going to be culturally conditioned but you're not allowed to be gender fluid. But you don't have to wear a cloth head covering. That's just what they did. So that was the argument that I made. And then I encountered this reality from history, and it really shook me, because anytime you find a practice that is nearly universally practiced across about 19,000 different types of Christian tradition <laughs> until the modern feminism movement, you should probably be a little concerned. And denominations. <laughs> So I'm going to read a quote here. This is from my Facebook friend, Joseph Spurgeon. I screenshotted this like in 2020. Oh, really? (laughs) And I've heard this from other people, but I really like how he put it. He said, here's a little historical fact. Make of it what you will. In every single denomination of Christianity on every continent, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Mm -hmm, Coptic, mm -hmm. Lutheran, Continental Reformed, Anabaptist, (laughs) Anglican, Presbyterian, Puritan, Congregational, Separatist, General Baptist, Particular Baptist, Southern Baptist, American Baptist, Methodist, Restoration (laughs) Movement, Amish, Mennonite, and Pentecostal, women wore head coverings until the 1900s. He's not exaggerating, by the way. I actually had someone recently, I don't know if you were there for that conversation, they were like, somebody who knows I cover and they're okay with it. And she was like, well, someone came up to me and said that you guys only cover because it's the same thing that the Amish do it. And I was like, well, (laughs) 
it is the same belief <laughs> yeah, of First yeah. Corinthians. But we don't 11. do it because of the Amish. No, not because of the Amish. But I, I told them, I'm like, LARPing. it's the same conviction from Scripture, though. It but, is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the the reason all that, that that paragraph is true is because all of those guys had read First Corinthians 11. Yes, correct. So <laughs> even you could read Martin Luther. He wrote in a sermon on marriage. This was in 1525. He said, "The wife has not been created out of the head, so that she shall." Rule, uh, sorry, so that she shall not rule over her husband, but be subject and obedient to him. For that reason, the wife wears a headdress, that is, the veil on her head, as St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians in the 11th chapter, that she is not free, but under obedience to her husband. So uh, R.C. Sproul wrote as well, he said, quote, the, the wearing of fabric head coverings in worship was universally the practice of Christian women until the 20th century. And so he asks in this exchange that he recounts basically, and I think many of us have had this account, like why I remember my old Southern Baptist grandma yep. would never go to church without a hat on. At least on Easter. Yeah, or, <laughs> or at least it began to fade and de- yeah. degrade over time. But even in like, we're not even talking about high reformed or whatever liturgical no. settings, just normal American Christian in in recent memory even, yeah. they wouldn't go to church. A man would never wear a hat in church. And they would ask him to take it off yes. if he did. And a woman would always wear a hat or some kind of covering in church. And so R.C. Sproul asks this question, what happened? Did we suddenly find some biblical truth to which the saints for thousands of years were blind? Or were our biblical views of women gradually eroded by the modern feminist movement that has infiltrated the church of Jesus Christ, which is the pillar and buttress of the truth? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Mic drop for R.C. <laughs> because the reality, guys, is that what, what movement started telling women a male in their head coverings, babe? The feminists. And the it feminists. was some, it, I think it was a leave it to Canada. Sorry, yeah, guys. Yeah. I know we have a lot of Canadian listeners. Sorry. But it was a pastor in Canada who really popularized saying, like, let's support the women's rights movement, mail in your head coverings for the feminists. And yeah. that spread down through America. Hello, that is why America is still the only country in the world predominantly that does not do this. Yeah, even even today, if you go to many other countries, you'll find it they will still, just a completely normal yep. practice for women to wear a, a cloth covering, so at least during corporate worship. I have often s- said, I don't take my cues from feminists in other places. Why would I start on Sunday morning? Of all yeah. places, why would I start on yeah. Sunday morning? So you have to ask the question when you come to this, and it is, it is just an ironclad historical fact that what we're saying is true. This was the case throughout history. Did we all of a sudden, sometime in the 20th century, become much more wise than the entirety of every tradition of the Christian church forever and discover something new that they didn't know? And I would say probably not, especially when we have a much more plausible example for why we stopped doing this. And it's that Paul is talking about the subjection or the submission of a woman in this passage. He's talking about from nature, from creation, from church practice, from all of these different lines of argumentation. What is he arguing for? He's saying that it's right for a woman to have a symbol of authority on her head to show that she is under authority. Is that a very culture? I mean, is that a very popular message today, friends? <laughs> of course not. Like, this is the thing that everybody wants to not talk about. Yeah. Is that the scriptures, if you just read them plainly, they will just give you a picture of masculinity and fem- femininity. Yeah of you know this creational hierarchy it's a good thing they're made in the image of god equally valuable but there's a there's a clear distinction in authority and submission that god has built into the world you see it in nature scripture by positive command as well as by example and, and culture across i mean and then all of a sudden we have the suffragette movement 
and we have the, <laughs> um, the women's rights for voting movement. Mm-hmm. We have the feminism first, second, mm-hmm. third wave feminism. And all of a sudden, what do we see? We see a feminism-driven push yeah. to reject this symbol. Why are they rejecting a symbol? Because they're rejecting what the symbol symbolizes. Yes, correct. Yeah. I want to say, too, I've heard people mention before, people have asked me, um, isn't the wedding ring enough of a symbol? And my response to them has been, well, Christ tells us what the symbol is. Yeah, here it is. It's not the wedding ring. No. And the wedding (laughs) ring doesn't say anything about the submission, particularly of a woman to her husband. Correct. Men and women wear, (laughs) wear wedding rings. It, it, no, I'm not saying wedding rings are unbiblical or anything like that. No. Like they're, they're a fine well, they're cultural symbol. Well, they're also not like actively, they're not, prescri- they're not yeah. prescribed. You don't have to wear a wedding ring, and you know, or you're you're sinning or anything like that. It's a different kind of symbol. So we're not going to go through all of the objections that people have. Again, there are there are scores of good books and yeah. articles and sermons that you could read and listen to. This podcast isn't that kind of no. multi-hour deep dive into different theological topics. We're we're more practical. We wanted to give you basically, th- these are the reasons why we believe that women ought to wear a, a cloth head covering in corporate worship at least. And yeah. again, to summarize, Paul's four art lines of argumentation in the passage are from creation, order, and authority. Number two, because of the angels. Number three, because nature teaches us this. And number four, this is the universal practice of the church. And so, uh, Oh, and also then the historical argument that mm-hmm. I find very compelling that nobody disagreed about this until feminism addled our brains with respect to yeah. sexual anthropology. But without history, without archaeology, it's clear from the text, you guys. Yeah, yeah we wouldn't need that last no. one. I mean, people have asked me, what's your favorite resource on head coverings? And I'm, I'm generally not trying to be snarky, but 1 Corinthians 11 said, is it. read the passage <laughs> and write out in your own words what the passage Correct. means. Yeah, that's a good way to do and, it. And yeah. it, it's difficult. That's what we tell people in our church. Read the passage, and we'll, we'll teach them positively. No shame at all. This is what I think it means. Um, and we're not in the position where um, we're going to, uh, when you talk about the work of reform over time. Yeah. We're talking about reformational work, recovering the ancient landmarks and traditions of our fathers that were in accordance with Scripture, interrogating them to be sure to be certain, mm-hmm. but but also interrogating our cultural inheritance yeah. that has been marked by the water we swim in, which is feminist egalitarianism and many of the anthropological heresies <laughs> that come with that. Yeah. So, last thing that we'll say is that we don't believe that the covering that Paul is requiring here is a veil of the face of anything like that. One of the things you hear is like, isn't this Islamic? <laughs> the very conservative Islamic view is when a hijab is a full face covering with basically an eye slit. That's not what we're talking about here. The, Paul's talking about a covering of the hair. And then also, we don't um, necessarily hold the view that the covering must is essentially cover every single strand of the woman's hair or it doesn't count Later, Paul warns against women adorning their hair with the braiding of hair and costly jewels in, in the context of the church. So to me, that says that there were contexts where a woman's hair was visible enough that that could be an issue. Yeah. And so um, the, the covering, even the extent of the covering, um, I think because it's a symbol, it is, it's important that it symbolizes what it's supposed to symbolize, but there is range within the symbol of exactly what kind of covering you could wear, there are multiple I will say after reading examples. Dr. McFall's book, I was convicted that it needed to be more than, for me personally, a headband. More than just like a, a Because a I needed thin to headband. communicate something. A headband, yeah. everyone in the culture wears that, yeah, it but they don't wear a thicker band of fabric. It doesn't so. communicate fully Correct. what it's supposed to yes. communicate. 
And I so, think when, yeah. yeah. Anyways, in the kitchen. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk more in the kitchen. Here's what I'll say at the end of this episode right now. Um, there is a way that you can support this show at the same time. And we'll talk, you'll hear us talk more about this, about our particular practice and, um, you know, where Lexi wears a head covering, what kind as well. And, uh, that would be in our, in the kitchen series, which we're literally recording in the kitchen today. Um, (laughs) like you heard, uh, in the kitchen is a podcast that we produce just for patrons of the show. These are folks that chip in a, a few bucks a month and help us make this possible, support the equipment cost, our editing cost. As well as the fact, maybe some of you don't know this, but actually New Christendom Press that we belong to and this podcast is affiliated with is actually uh, part of our livelihood. So yeah. about 40% of the support for our family comes from New Christendom Press. I work for them. And also uh, Eric Kahn, another pastor at our church. Yeah. And uh, he does some podcasts with me, the King's Hall. He does the Hard Men podcast as well. Our patrons are supporting other people as yeah, well, not supporting. just us. The whole activity of this publishing house that we are endeavoring to start here in Ogden, Utah, which we are aiming to have produce content that is uh, rigorously biblical, theology with calluses, applicational, lived in, that you can actually take to your life every day. And so in that spirit, in today's episode of In the Kitchen, we will talk more about that granular sort of applicational stuff when it comes to head coverings for us. Um, You can find a link in the description to support the show. And not only will you get that episode, but you'll also get our whole backlog of In the Kitchen episodes, which right now numbers more than 40 episodes of In the Kitchen on everything from medical practices here in the Sove Homestead to uh, planning and kitchen resources uh, and conversations about all the different topics that we've covered in the show so far. And so check that out. And also, fittingly, you can support our sponsor, Garlands of Grace, who is <laughs> our sponsor this season, and they produce actually high-quality head coverings made in America supporting a Christian family. They do a great job. They are affordable and also very high-quality, beautiful. Uh, we, we commend them to you. When you support them, you're supporting us and also a, just a great Christian family. And no, we did not become head covering proponents so that we could get an ad sponsor for this show. <laughs> just to be clear, we believed this before we even started this podcast. So just oh, in I case anybody's wondering that. if we're like just trying to do this whole episode to, to increase our sponsorship deal nope. or something, no. Nope. Uh, they're just a great company we're glad to partner with. So thanks for listening to this episode of Bright Hearth, and we'll catch you next time.